Well, this Sunday marks the beginning of Advent. Advent is that time for remembering and preparing, for walking in the old steps of time past, but also keeping the fire burning as we look forward. And here in church during Advent, and I guess, yeah, you could do this at your own home too, we're going to light a candle each week representing the hope, the joy, the peace, the love, and Jesus Christ right there in the middle on Christmas. And so we decorate the church, likewise we decorate our homes. Anybody pull out those familiar decorations yet? Getting ready, there we go, getting ready to sing those familiar songs. Welcome home family, friends, after all, this is the season that comes just once a year. And there's something sweet and inviting and very peaceful about that, that life can move at a million miles an hour the rest of the year, and we live in this constant state of flux, but at Advent, it simply won't do. We need to set aside time to step back into the story again, the story that we know so well, and experience the thrill of hope all over again. And so over the next four year, weeks, we're going to be reading about the coming of Jesus. We're going to celebrate his coming, and we're going to be waiting for his promised return. And so we're going to read everything from prophecies and their fulfillments to shepherds and angels to the very birth of our Savior. And my prayer and hope for us as we step back into the story is that as we remember Christ's coming and celebrate it, we will also look forward and hope to his return because the story isn't over just yet. And we, like the shepherds before us, have been invited to come to the manger and see. And our text today comes to us from the prophet of Jeremiah and can only be read in a messianic light, meaning that this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus, one that was fulfilled beginning with the birth of him and will be completed fully at his return. And today we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 33. So you can begin making your way there in your Bibles. Remember, Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. But before we get there, it's important to get some context of the surrounding story and an understanding of how this section of Scripture connects us to the larger narrative of Scripture, which is always pointing us to Jesus. For all of Scripture is always pointing us to Jesus. Like Jesus himself said, right? These scriptures are written about me or the apostle John who said these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and by believing in him, have life in his name. It's also always good to remind ourselves that the people of the Old Testament, like us, have been waiting for the coming of the Savior. They were waiting for his arrival. Now we carry that torch waiting for his return. So chapter 33 is the last chapter, if you finally gotten there, of what is considered this chapters of consolation, chapters 30 through 33. There are three hopeful chapters that promise redemption and restoration to Israel and also Judah. Now these chapters come after a very lengthy series, almost 25 chapters or so, of prophecies by Jeremiah against Judah and Jerusalem during the reign of four kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Now, Jeremiah's many prophecies in those 25 chapters were all about judgment, and they landed him in prison. But even though they were about judgment, guess what, friends? They're all now coming true. And so these three chapters shine this bright light that has been all throughout this darkness of Jeremiah's earlier prophecies. And these chapters are actually taking place while the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, are actually besieging the city of Jerusalem. And there is very every reason to believe that these Babylonians are going to crush the city and most will die. So where we are picking up, the worst has not yet happened, but it is inevitable. 
Any person would have to just look out over the wall and see that the city is doomed. And yet in the midst of catastrophe, God is speaking words of promise. Interestingly enough, if you flip back in your Bible and you go to chapter 32, Jeremiah was told by God to buy a piece of land, which seems to be a very foolish thing to do when your country is about to be conquered by invading armies. But nevertheless, Jeremiah does it because the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, said, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. In the midst of impending doom, he is called to do this because it is a sign of hope that God will not abandon him. And similarly, in chapter 33, where we're picking up, the prophet is speaking about the coming restoration, the restoration of normal, everyday life. And here we have hope, assurance in a hopeless situation. Now, we're going to only look at three verses, 14 through 16, but I want to catch us up on it all because that's just what I like to do. So we're going to start at verse 1 and 33, and I'm just going to read those to us, and maybe I'll just add a few things as the verses come up on the screen. You can follow along with me or in your Bibles if you're taking notes. Now, while Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the garden, remember he's in prison, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says, he who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me. And I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Great and unsearchable things. The things to be revealed are unsearchable because they are beyond the grasp of human knowledge. It's referring here to matters that are so far beyond human insight that they require divine revelation. Perhaps a little bit later when there will be a visit of an angel explaining to a young virgin what is going to come or visit a man in a dream when he is contemplating divorce. Perhaps shepherds receiving a free concert in the park. The promise of life here and now given even with death at the gate. Verse 4 says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in the fight with the Babylonians. These people did not trust in God. They trusted in making their own weapons. Their weapon wasn't a melody or a song. It was their own strength. But instead, they will be filled with the bodies, dead bodies of the people that will be slayed in God's anger and wrath. He will hide his face from this city because of all its wickedness. A lot of people don't like to stop in the Old Testament or even sometimes when we see sin mentioned in the New because the reality is sin has consequences. And the people of the Old Testament, just like us, sinned a lot. And because of it, just like us, suffered. Romans 14 talks about how the Scripture is written to teach us so that we can learn to endure we learn to endure because if our sin had the last word, then friends, there wouldn't be very many words written, would there be? But thanks be to God that he is patient and his love endures forever so that we can turn from our sin. But God promises despite the people's wickedness, this in verse 6, nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. If you're familiar a little bit with the Old Testament, you know that part of this is fulfilled in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, 
that Jerusalem did experience the temple and the walls being rebuilt. But the true promise comes fully fulfilled in the coming of Christ Jesus and will be completed at his return at the end of time. God says, I will cleanse them in verse 8 from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renowned joy, praise and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Can you imagine trembling at the fear of incoming death being swapped out for the trembling of the abundance of prosperity and peace that God will give them? This this is what we have to look forward to. Verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says. You say about this place where you're at, it's a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voice of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I, the Lord, will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without people or animals in all its town, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country of the western foothills and of the Negev in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Don't know if you caught it, but it was double the blessing. It was a repeating of the promise just to make sure that they believe what God had said and not what their eyes currently saw. And I don't know about you, but I can't get out of my mind when I read that. The image of the good shepherd counting his sheep through the gate, passing under the hand, refers to how shepherds touch their sheep as they come in knowing who they are and speaking to them. Counting, perhaps, because what did Jesus promise? Not one of them would be lost. Now we get to verses 14 and 16, which are the focus, right? The, the promise of the Messiah coming. Jeremiah speaks of the restoration, not just of daily life, as wonderful as that is when it happens, but also of one of the chief signs of God's favor, the promise of the restoration of the Davidic line. That's King David. We're going to get into that in just a second. God says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. The promise is to all the people, both Israel and Judah, because remember at that time they had split. So this is suggesting a united kingdom. But the focus is not necessarily on Israel and Judah. It's on God who made the promise. God who says, I will fulfill it. This was the promise that he first made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God himself promised that someone from his line, from his family, would reign on the throne forever. God then reiterated that to Solomon, his son, in 1 Kings chapter 9. But out of Solomon's sin, consequences and judgment came to the line of David. And that judgment was fulfilled right here in what is going to happen to Zedekiah and all the people. This is a people that has been devastated now by loss, and yet Jeremiah's prophecy is offering hope. The days are coming, says the Lord, 
when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. All might seem lost, but God is faithful. God is promising that even in the face of death, judgment never has the last word. 15 says, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Justice and righteousness are two words we often see in the Old Testament. Justice being fair and equitable relationships among the people, impartial law courts, and the protection of the weak from the powerful. And righteousness the personal characteristics that make such conditions possible. Justice and righteousness were never found in any king or society, then or now, but have only been found in our Lord Jesus. The house of David might be cut down here by the Babylonians as Zedekiah is defeated and his sons all killed, but God is a God who can bring life out of death. A branch will sprout. Time and time again, all might seem lost, but our God is able to bring life out of death. A righteous branch will sprout from the line of David. That is a word of hope, but not naive hope. Friends, Jeremiah is not someone who looks at the world through, I don't know, rose-colored glasses. Far from that. This is a prophet who has been imprisoned by his own government for speaking and prophesying doom that God has told him to speak. And yet this man is still clinging to a promise in which the saving act of God is not readily apparent in Jeremiah or Judah's current situation. We too live this way, as if what we experience isn't hard or difficult. We're not sitting around trying to make something happy out of these horrible experiences. There are those of us who have lost home and jobs and family. But our hope remains in the righteous branch who rises up from the grave. Because we are called to live by faith, not by sight. You remember the start of this chapter, I hope, right? God began the promise of hope saying what? He said, call to me and I will answer. Cry out to me for forgiveness because of your sin. And how does he answer? Christ Jesus crucified, bringing healing and peace to our troubled minds and assuring us that he has covered every inch of our sin. Cry out, but what about death? Christ Jesus risen from the dead. And the promise that the good shepherd himself will call you by name and count you as his own. So if you feel lately that that snake Satan has been taking all that he can from you, and you're sick of being sick and tired of being so tired, the answer, friend, is the promise that the destroyer's plans are the only thing that are end up destroyed. And that by God's grace, where fear has been hanging in your heart, Instead, a garden of grace is going to begin sprouting with the righteous branch at the center, the righteous branch of the coming King, Jesus. For when you're sitting at home alone, haunted by the past or unsure of the future, 
can't see a way to make any of it better, don't turn up the noise or turn to something that doesn't do anything but provide a temporary fix. Friends, turn to the gospel, hope, where there is infinitely more. A righteous branch will spring up. This promise of tenacious hope, of unending hope, is spoken to counteract all of the life-sapping, despair-inducing evidence that exists to stand in the reflection of our Savior and all of His power, the power that is in the hope of Jesus Christ, the power of Emmanuel, God with us, who chose to dwell among us and brought grace and mercy and hope, the power of baptism to be able to speak words and splash water and be promised eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. I want to bring the band back up here to get a little Jesus music underneath me here. Because in the midst of darkness, light is about to break in. In the midst of despair, hope erupts. After long waiting, a branch begins to sprout. Friends, the complete fulfillment of God's promises has not yet happened. Where's my band? What's going on, guys? There he is. Hasn't happened yet. That's Advent. That's waiting. But it's coming. Such is Advent faith. Such is Advent hope. Now is the time to step back into the story, to keep coming back to the manger, to live, to experience, to trust in the hope of Christ Jesus. For in our King of Kings, that is exactly what you will find time and time again, hope and joy and peace and love forever. Amen. So here's what I want to do to close this out. I want you to stand up with me and to hold out your hands this morning, to be filled by the only one who fills us up, to receive the blessing, the favor, to receive the goodness and the unending love of the Father that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen?